0: This is the Road Trekking Podcast with your host, Jimmy James. It's a show about my trip from Ontario to British Columbia and back in a vintage 92 camper van. And I invite you to come along for the ride. Hello and welcome to episode nine, Pincher Creek, Alberta to Nelson, British Columbia. Uh, we'll start with the trip log. Total kilometers traveled 5,442. My current location is in Kokanee Creek Provincial Park in British Columbia. GPS coordinates. I don't know. Maintenance costs still sitting around $800, luckily, thank goodness. Uh, Just to recap, I had just stayed at the Grasslands National Park in Saskatchewan, where there's a vast tract of untouched uh, grassland that you can see an example of, and also gone to the Cypress Hills Interprovincial Park between Saskatchewan and Alberta, where it's more of a mixed Forest, grassland, prairie, mountain, sort of an environment. So, just the landscape is changing as I go along and uh, followed along the south of the southern roads in Alberta, uh, eventually getting to a town called Pincher Creek, actually a place called Spring Hill, which is just south where I snuggled up for the night at my host driveway. The next morning, uh, I decided I was going to actually go to Pincher Creek. So, uh, check it out see what's going on and stock up on supplies it seems like a typical small prairie town um, the, the people are really kind there's you can find basically everything there that you need there's a uh, gas stations walmart's a liquor store supermarket there's even a walmart i think on the one side of town so uh, nice little place but no particular personality to speak of Once I was fueled up and stocked up, I decided I was going to head down to the Waterton Lake National Park. So uh, again, another large park, uh, very untouched areas and representing all different geological features of the particular area. Um, it's comprised of about 500 square kilometers. And what's really interesting about the park, this is just what I read about it, is it contains so many different kinds of ecosystems. So there's like foothills, which is like a mix between prairie and boreal forests. It contains montanes, I think I'm saying that correctly, which are like the slopes of mountains. And then it also has subalpine, which is just below the trees on a mountain. And then the alpine mountains as well, where nothing really grows of size. It's just small stuff like lichen and whatnot. So this is all contained within this one park. But the first stop you make when you're going into the park is the Buffalo Paddock. So I'm driving into the park and on the right hand side, there's a road called Buffalo Paddock line or road or something and you go down this road and it takes you to a little sitting area and then there's actually supposed to be a ring road that goes around a paddock that has a number of buffalo in it and this is about i don't know the ring road's probably a few kilometers in diameter but i pull in first to the interpretive center and there's a gentleman and his uh, wife or girlfriend parked with their truck camper staring with binoculars up at the side of the mountain and I said to him, I'm like, uh, excuse me, what are, you, what are you guys looking at up there? And he's like, oh, there's a bear on the side of the mountain and, and we're watching it come down and all this stuff. So I run to the van, grab my binoculars and start trying to see what, you know, take a look at what he's seeing. And then he starts guiding me. He's like, you know, see that shiny rock, take a look over to the left. La- and, and sure enough, uh, there, were, there was a bear coming down the side of the mountain, just slowly lumbering its way down, checking out all the little bushes and stuff. Uh, What was really interesting about this side of the mountain is that it had completely burned. After speaking with the gentleman a bit more, he had told me that, I think it was like five or six years earlier, uh, that whole mountain area caught on fire and burned. And what's really neat about that is you can actually see what the side of the mountain looks like when it doesn't have any trees on it. Some of the people there, I think, said it looked kind of ugly that it was burnt. But I liked it because you could see, like, every fissure, every washout and boulder that was on the side of the mountain. So uh, I spent some time watching these bears. And uh, about, I don't know, after an hour or so of glassing, that's the, uh, now I'm like a professional binocularer. Uh, after about an hour of glass in the side of the mountain, uh, I walked up to where there's a rock, sort of a, a a rock circle that you can sit on and has some explanatory things. And from there, you can actually see the bison uh, in the watering hole. They were they were running around, they were chasing each other, they were going in the water and then rolling in the dust. Uh, I think I saw three three babies and four full-size buys in if memory serves me correctly um and i decided i was going to take a drive around this ring road well when you go out onto the ring road it turns out that halfway down there's just a gate and it says like the ring road's closed or something so whatever i turned around went back and uh i decided i was going to head into the park the park proper um I, I decided to try the road at first. So when you go into this park, you pass a toll gate and they're basically checking if you have a Parks Canada Pass, but the park is huge. So I originally decided I was going to take the road that red to, uh, led to what's called Red Rock Canyon, where I guess you can see red rocks or something. I don't know. It's, it's supposed to look, be more representative of sort of a Badlands sort of a look. Um, the road was, it was good, but it changed elevations frequently and it was really windy that day. Uh, th- everything was blowing. I just took my time. Like I'd often pull over and let other people pass because for whatever reason, this road is super beautiful. It's super windy. Uh, there's a lot to see and yet everybody's just like speeding past me going down. I don't know where they're going at this point. going, going down this road. It kind of makes me think about why sometimes when people go to these places, they don't just take their time. And I mean, it's not like I was doing way under the limit or whatever. I think the limit was like 40 on this road. Why people don't take the time to just take a look because – When you get to the end of the road, there's some kind of hike or something like that. And you're not going to see anything cool there. What you're going to see is um, a bunch of other people hiking. But when you take the road slow, you know, oftentimes you'll see something out to the side. Uh, You'll see animals in the bush and interesting stuff like that. So anyway, I like to take my time on these kind of roads. People were just speeding past me. So as I went along this road... I passed the turnoff into what's called the Crandall Mountain Campground. They had a big sign. It's a bridge that goes over the river and they had a big sign saying closed. But the sign was actually on the other side of the bridge, which I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, I'm not sure why they were closed and nobody, there was no indication of that. So when I get to the end of this road, then I come to like a parking area for the hikes that are around the Red Rock Canyon. And it was absolutely jammed. Like I literally had a hard time even navigating the parking lot. And I'm just in a van. Uh, There's people walking all over the place. Um, You know, children meandering, you know, down the aisles Uh, when you're trying to park is, I guess this is where everybody was going on my way. So anyway, seeing the number of people, I (laughs) immediately turned around And I headed back to that bridge that I saw earlier um, going to the campground, Crandall Mountain Campground. And when I got there, uh, I actually parked kind of on top of the bridge and nobody was there. I walked down the river bank and I got down to the river that this bridge was going over. I thought I'd sit down there by the river and just kind of take in the the nature, the wildlife. And then I thought, heck, you know, I'll I'll even put my feet in the water, right? So I took my socks off and rolled my pants off. And oh, yeah, I'll cool off, right? It was pretty warm out. Okay, this water was like nearly freezing. I could barely stand to keep my feet in the water for more than... 30 seconds at a time, like I tried for a minute, I put my feet in the water and I was like, I was, I'm going to count to 60. It, the water is like ice cold, absolutely ice cold. Anyway, okay, so change of plans, um, not putting my feet in the water, but I just sat there, you know, for half an hour or so admiring the the river, the rushing river cutting through the mountains, it, it was a really beautiful sight. And uh, I'm not sure what would have happened if I went on any of these hikes. I'm sure I would have saw a lot of tourists and I probably would have saw a red colored canyon, but I was glad that I stopped at that river and got to enjoy that moment. So after that, I headed to the town site. Then what that, what that is, is, is the town site of, uh, I think it's called Waterton Park or something or Waterton Lakes town. So I headed back out on that uh, Red Rock Canyon Road and towards the town site and the town site is really cute it's just north of basically this whole area is just north of the Glacier Park in Montana so it's very mountainous terrain. Interestingly enough this town first of all was completely booming and packed but only has a population of, (laughs) I looked this up, 158 people living in 67 of its 209 uh, private dwellings. So I think that's probably people living there full-time. The other ones are like cottages and stuff. But I'll tell you, this town felt like it had a million people. I did stop into the info center that had uh, some good information about the area and there's a little uh, campground area in town that I kind of drove through, but again, it was packed with with tourists. So I figured it was too busy for me and too much of a tourist trap for me to explore, uh, and I was going to head out. I did stop to see the Cameron Falls, which are right in town, and they're strangely secluded despite the hustle and bustle that's going going around in the town. You know, people buying ice cream, walking around and everything like that, and uh, according to some information that was there, what was really interesting is that these falls are flowing, uh, apparently over some of the oldest rocks uh, in the Canadian mountain range, dating back to the Precambrian era. The waterfall is probably about 50 feet tall, just looking at it visually, and about 40 or 50 feet wide. And there's a good spray and there's a, there's a lookout platform and there was really nobody there. So it was quite nice to find that in the middle of one of these tourist trap towns. Apparently, during certain times of the year, the water of the river will flow red, and I think that's it's that iron, that red uh, color from the rocks. It probably down Red Canyon, Red Rock Canyon Road, but the water looked perfectly clear to me. It was very beautiful. So I headed back to my camp, where I found that. Another camper was staying the night, a different camper than had been the night before. And I decided to chat it up a little bit. And we met and her name is Sabrina and her partner, Sebastian, and they were with their dog Lennox. And uh, she runs a website called schoolymissionadventure.com. She's got a really interesting story. I asked her if she'd let me tell the story, and she said she had no problem with it. Apparently, some years ago, she had suffered a spinal cord injury uh, during a parachuting accident and had uh, lost the use of her legs. So her and her partner, Sebastian, converted a school bus over into, like, the ultimate accessible motorhome with, like, a lift. I looked inside this thing, it First of all, it looked like an Ikea showroom. It was beautiful inside. It had a lift, it had been converted so that Sabrina could drive it just with her hands. And it turns out they were touring across Canada uh, and down the West Coast of the U.S. They were going to spend a year and they'd actually built this thing in Germany and had it shipped over to North America with the intention of going on this big adventure. So big shout out to Sabrina. That is really cool. Schoolymissionadventure.com. She's German. The website is mostly in German, but I think you can hit like a different change the language button on it or something. Or maybe I was plugging it into Google Translate. Pretty interesting stuff. And she's definitely had uh, some cool adventures here in Canada. So we swapped some stories and some laughs and that. And then I headed in for the night. The next morning, after I said bye to everybody, and I decided I was going to head out to Nelson, um, which I heard was kind of like a cool little hippie town in the Kootenays. And something really I wanted to check out. As I drove out of Alberta and into B.C., the landscape starts to change drastically. So now I'm driving in the mountains with pine trees everywhere and snow-capped summits out in the distance. So I continued along that Highway 3, which I think now they call is like the Crow's Nest Highway. And I, I passed through some small towns navigating some windy roads, all that had a speed limit of about 100 kilometers an hour, which wasn't too hard for the van to deal with. On my way, though, I did pass something that was so unusual I had to stop, and it was called the Frank Slide. It's located inside the town of Frank, just on the Alberta side of the border along Highway 3. So to describe its visual appearance, it just looks like this wide swath of gray rock and gravel poured down from the side of one of the mountains. Um, and just sort of went and stopped. Now this happened a long time ago. I got out and took a look, walked around and did some reading on it. This occurred apparently at 4am on April 29th, 1903, about 110 million tons of the surrounding mountain just slid down onto the van. I did some calculations. So 110 million tons of rock with the weight of my van, that's roughly 12,950,000 of my vans just sliding down the side of this mountain. I think the mountain's called Turtle Mountain. But when you get out and you walk on these rocks, it's really spooky because First of all, 70 to 90 people died in this slide. It covered a good part of the town, but only 18 bodies were ever recovered. Uh, 12 of them were immediately after the slide occurred, people that uh, they tried to rescue and they died. And then in 1924, they discovered six skeletons while they were building Uh, the new road through this town. So you're just walking along on this, like just, just rock, like gravel, big boulders. And you know that there's like 50, 60, who knows exactly how many people that are literally beneath your feet. Eventually I got to a town called Cranbrook, which was pretty sizable for the towns I had seen so far in BC and I stopped there to get some lunch. It actually looked like a nice little town. I'm, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to stop and check it out for a bit longer. I continued along the highway winding through the mountains until I reached what's called the Kootenay Pass. Now, I really didn't know what a mountain pass was, but I found out it's basically where, it doesn't make sense or it's impractical to uh, tunnel through a mountain or something like that or go around. So they just drive the road sort of up the mountain, obviously in a valley, but the valley is still very high up. So it's a, a mountain pass is like a long climb where you would get from one mountain range basically to another. So as I climbed this Kootenay Pass... I started to lose engine power. (laughs) I had the van in third gear and with my foot right to the floor, I could barely maintain 60 kilometers an hour. This is a very steep pass though. So I can't blame this completely on the van, but I didn't feel like the engine was revving and I just felt like it had no power. I also noticed that my temperature gauge started to climb drastically. So it generally sits around the one third mark, but had climbed now, you know, past the halfway. So I struggled to find a place to pull over and I knew my van was starting to run hot. I soon found a spot where I could just get out of the van. Uh, I turned the heater on full. This is a little trick for people. You can cool your engine by turning your heater on and turning the fan on full in your vehicle. By turning the heater on, you're actually putting coolant through your heater core, which is like a little mini radiator in your dash, and it'll help take some of the heat out of your engine. Of course, I didn't want to be in the van while I was doing this, so I put on the roof vent max, uh, opened the windows and got out of the van and let it cool. Here's one of the unpleasant things about driving in a van when it's running hot. The engine is literally right beside you. So it has a plastic cover over it with some cheesy insulation. They call this the doghouse. I'm not sure why, but it's literally pressed up against your right hand leg. And the engine is just behind that. And when it's running hot, you can feel it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Once I felt that the engine was reasonably cool, I just headed out taking my time up the pass. And I discovered actually, if I just put the van in second gear, when I'm doing like a a long climb and commit myself to doing like 60 kilometers an hour, uh, I can climb them no problems. And in most of the places, when you get to the really steep grades, there are two lanes. There's often not much of a shoulder, but there are two lanes. And you can just, go in the slow lane and go slow you'll see truckers going really slow and stuff like that the descent was easy i just geared down i used the shifter on the column to gear down to like second gear and used threshold braking you know to like brake for a few seconds let it cool for a few seconds uh brake for a few seconds let it cool for a few seconds Uh, to keep the van between 80 and 100 down the hill because the hill's quite steep in the other direction as well once I was through the pass, I continued along Highway Three, where I eventually turned north and headed through a little town called Selmo, and then eventually to Nelson. Now Nelson is an interesting town. Uh, it's 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 nestled right on the Kootenay River, which is a huge river which comes off Kootenay Lake. I took a quick drive through the downtown passing by what looked like some trendy uh, restaurants and art stores before I crossed the river and headed to my site at Kokanee Creek Provincial Park. Uh, This is quite a nice park with all the modern amenities like flush toilets and stuff like that, but they have a few little campgrounds and I ended up staying in one of the little quiet campgrounds. Now this park straddles uh, both sides of a river running through it. I think it's called Kootenai Creek, and um, some of the campgrounds are on one side of the the river, like the more rustic ones, and the more plug-in style campgrounds are located on the other side of the river. I also understand that there's a fish hatchery on this river, and they release fish into Kootenai Lake, which got me thinking. The next day, I decided I was going to explore the town of Nelson a little bit and I parked in a grocery store parking lot and set out on my $50 Regina Kijiji bike to check out the town. My first stop was actually at the farmer's market and considering the amount of fruit stands that I saw on my way in, I didn't mention this, but as I was coming to Nelson, there were fruit stands all over the highway uh selling cherries mostly and i think there were peaches maybe just lots of fruit stands coming in but considering that there wasn't a lot of fruit for sale at the farmers market which i thought was really weird it was mostly comprised of like local artisans selling like jewelry art uh, there was even a guy there selling handmade knives so i thought it was interesting to look at but it it certainly wasn't what i was expecting for a farmers market and I didn't really see anything there that I was interested in, So, but I did have some pretty good conversations with the vendors, and it became clear that many of them had actually moved to Nelson uh, to escape their previous lives in cities and live more of the BC mountain experience, per se, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I left the farmer's market, and I headed downtown, and I ate at a local restaurant, where the food was good, but I think a hamburger and fries cost me like 26 bucks or something like that. And I went into some of the various art galleries, which have some really nice, but really expensive stuff. Uh, really, one had a cool owl that was like made out of metal and stuff staring at you. I, I really liked it. And I also noticed that like cycling must be huge in this city because there seemed to be a number of bicycle shops and bicycles all over the place. Now this is, I think like a mountain biking area. So uh, I stopped into the local cycle shop and because, okay, my bike, admittedly it's not perfect. All right. It cost $50. The gears work, but not like super good. And I was just wondering if I could get a bit of a tune up. And then I was surprised. Like the guy said, I I said, I think I might need a new derailleur and they didn't have like the low grade derailleur that my bike has, (laughs) like the better one. And then he proceeded to pull out a calendar to like book this tune up for like, I think it was like three or four weeks in the future. And I was like, no, man, I'm only here for like a couple days. And he's like, oh, sorry, we're totally booked. So yeah, cycling must be a big thing. The other thing was like all the bicycles in the bicycle store were like $2,000. So anyway, it was... It was an interesting place. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the gears fixed. You, uh, <laughs> you see some interesting things in Nelson. And it is clear that the people that live there feel free to express themselves. So, like, for instance, every different hair color, uh, style, whatever, is represented on the streets of Nelson. They have a store. That exclusively sold clothing for electronic dance music festivals. Uh, I saw numerous people traversing the sidewalks in bare feet. I even saw a guy pumping gas when I, when I went to get gas. He just got out and pumped gas in bare feet. I'm like, that's <laughs> I'm on the sidewalk. Maybe well, no, I wouldn't even walk on the sidewalk in bare feet. There's too much gross stuff. But at a gas station, like there's like spilled gas and kitty litter and oil and stuff. Anyway, that was uh, that was kind of interesting to see. I visited a alternative healing energy type store that had literally the largest selection of incense I have ever seen. I think it was like an entire wall of incense and they had like healing crystals and statues and even like a really comprehensive uh, occult book section where like, There were books on practical magic. I even found a book that was authored by Alistair Crowley, uh, who that's a whole other story, but he was uh, sort of like a a mystic kind of a person, figure in history, which I think uh, he's actually kind of an interesting cat. A lot of people think he was a hoax. But anyway, uh, I checked out some of those stores and then I decided to hit the uh, local brewing company for a tasting and I met some people at the bar who were passing through on vacation and got to have some chats and stuff like that. One of the locals I met suggested that I check out the nearby town of Caslow. Now, Kaslo is basically, I would go back up to the park, cross the river, go back up to the park, and then continue to follow that highway for a while. And I decided that that was going to be my adventure the next day. Coincidentally, that night at the campsite, I heard an advertisement on the radio for a free driving tour app of the region. And I was able to download that, so I thought, okay, for my drive up to this town, I can use the app. And it ended up working out really well. Anyhow, the next day, uh, I set out heading up 3A, eventually for uh, 31 towards Caslow. Now, for most of the drive, Uh, I was well above the lake and I had my fishing rods with me. I wanted to go fishing. Um, but the highway is you're, I don't know, maybe 50 or a hundred feet up. So there's nowhere really to park a car and go down and try to fish. It was a beautiful day. Uh, it started raining at one point for like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then it went away, but this is the weird thing in the mountains, you can't see the weather coming because the mountains block the horizon so it's beautiful sunny day and then all of a sudden it's just like boom rain shower and then it was just like boom it's bright and sunny again it's just a cloud a rain cloud had passed over the mountains It, it was really bizarre i ended up stopping at a place called fletcher falls and it was supposed to be a little bit of a lookout sort of thing but i knew that if there was a waterfall, there was you know, you were going to go view the, the waterfall. There was probably a way to get down to the water. So I grabbed my fishing rod and I headed down this sort of poorly marked path and I went right past the falls. I'd seen a lot of falls, uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of falls in the last week or two. So I just went right down to where the river met the lake. And it wasn't very busy there. It was like a rocky beach, but there were some people down there and I could see bait fish jumping, literally just jumping out of the water where this waterfall and river went into the lake. And I decided I was going to, you know, roll up my pants, go out into the water so that I could cast further and try to try to catch some, well. Once again, the water is, was absolutely (laughs) freezing cold in this lake. I, that plan was not going to work. So change of plans. I stayed on shore and I just started casting and almost immediately I caught this small, uh, trout like fish that one of the people that was there identified as a Dolly Varden. Okay. So this leads me to just a little gripe I have, and that's that. The name, what we call fish, seem to change as you go uh, go across the country. So we don't have dolly varden, but we do have things that look like uh, that look like them. We call them brook trout. They're not exactly the same, but they are pretty close. Uh, in southern Ontario, we call uh, walleye walleye, and when you go north, they call them pickerel. What we call in Uh, sort of the Ontario area pike, as you move west, they call them jacks, north and west, they're jacks. And then they've got these other fish out there, like a kokanee, which is a freshwater sockeye salmon. And salmon spawn in the rivers, they go up the rivers to lay their eggs, and obviously they hatch and live in the rivers. But when they're in the river, it's referred to as a kokanee, which is very confusing. I don't know why they don't just say it's a sockeye salmon, like you're, you, you literally just got it in the river, you know, where it came from. Anyway. Okay. Enough with that gripe. I stayed for another hour or so just casting out and enjoying the calm scenery. And is interestingly, only one boat passed in that whole time I was there. And then on one of my last casts, something big hit my lure and it was big, like it was strip and drag. So I fought and fought this fish and I ended up bringing in like a five pound rainbow trout and the local people that were there gathered around and took pictures of me and stuff. They'll, They'll be up on my Instagram and... Everybody was like, "Whoa, man, that's a great fish! What are you using? All this kind of stuff." You know, I was like, "I don't know. I'm just using a spoon. Like it's the same lure. <laughs> I haven't even changed lures uh, as I've as I've traveled." But uh, that was really cool that I got that fish, and uh, I I've decided that I want to go back there fishing, you know, seriously in the future. I I everybody wanted to know, "Are you going to keep it? Or are you going to keep it?" I set the fish free as I did the earlier Dolly Varton. Uh, Just as a sign, you know, to the gods. Thank you very much. So I finished my fishing and then I headed back up to the car. And by the way, that driving tour, which is through, I think, tourism, it might be Nelson or tourism Kokanee, was really good. And um, told me all about different stuff as I wound up this road. And then I got to Caslow. Now, Caslow is quite a bit smaller than Nelson and seem to retain some of that hippie kind of vibe without getting the touristy, high-end, gentrified thing going on. And I, I really like the town. I stopped in at a, a little pub-type place and had a lunch. They have an old boat dock there that was it was closed down because of COVID or whatever but it apparently it's a museum inside and you can check that out I was sort of looking forward to seeing that but I didn't get to Uh, Looked nice from the outside though um yeah, and I met this really cool couple at the restaurant who talked to me all about uh, sustainable farming and environmentalism and, and BC's restrictions and laws on development. And basically, they were nature lovers. It was a really cool conversation. So I did that, and then I, uh, I headed back to camp for the night. In terms of lessons learned and observations, I really only have two. And number one is concerning these mountain passes. Now, I think there were three mountain passes on my way to Nelson from Alberta along Highway through the three the Crow's Nest Highway. Uh, I don't remember. There was a Bonanza Pass, and anyway, that one summit, uh, the Kootenay Summit, that really got me. It taught me that. I think I'm probably best instead of trying to keep up with traffic uh, to just even shift down into second gear and try and maintain higher engine RPMs and just a lower speed, 60 kilometers an hour uh, while I'm climbing the hill. And also definitely watch my temperature gauge. Uh, The second, and this is more of an observation, I suppose, is that Nelson that had this reputation of being kind of this hippie mecca mountain, you know, interior BC town uh, had really become gentrified. And when I was speaking earlier about, you know, getting a $25 hamburger, $28 hamburger, I wasn't joking. Uh, A lot of the places in town are now catering to people with, you know, big money to spend, vacationers, uh, stuff like that. So it seems like uh, word gets out on some of these little places, and then the money starts to come in. And once the money comes in, it drives prices up. Uh, I looked at real estate, actually, it was extremely expensive, it seemed like for what you were getting. And it uh, the money comes in and then everything has to sort of upscale and then the whole affordability of what was once probably a really cool community changes as a result. Okay, that is going to be the end of this episode. Uh, I would like to thank you all for listening and if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please hit the like subscribe, and notification icons on your podcast platform of preference. And again, you can find me on Instagram at trekking underscore podcast. And of course, I'd like to remind everybody to be kind to one another and keep on trekking Bye.